Welcome to GivePod, Greater Vancouver's business podcast, unpacking the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. The forestry sector is a cornerstone of BC's economy, supporting 100,000 jobs and contributing $13 billion to BC's GDP and $4 billion in revenues to government to support healthcare, education, and other important social services. It also has a key role to play in conversations about sustainability and reconciliation. Joining us today to talk more is Susan Yurkovich, President and CEO of the Council of Forest Industries. Susan, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Bridget. So the past two years, it's been pretty tough. Pandemic, though, has brought many of us together, and there have been lots of stories of collaboration and support. Over the same period, we are also seeing an important conversation about forestry taking place across, right across our province. You have been involved in the sector for a very long time. Standing where we are today, what do you see as the path forward for the sector? I want to talk about the path forward, but you mentioned the pandemic, and I think it's important to recognize that you know, the forest sector, the natural resources sector, in, and in particular the forest sector, has been a bright light through the pandemic. When the pandemic occurred, of course, when the world shut down in 2020, we, of course, shut down all of our operations too. But we, we very quickly, our operators uh, learned how to operate safely, and we ha- had a, a very good track record of continuing to employ people, to keep communities together, and to, importantly, to contribute significant government revenues to help with health care and, and, and education, all the things that we care about during the pandemic. And it's been a sector that, through that period of time, I think has really been something that British Columbians can draw on. And I don't want to lose that point. As we think about the path forward, though, you know, this is a sector that's really poised to be a huge part of the climate solution. It's a sector that Uh, We grow trees, and those trees, as they're growing, are capturing carbon. When we harvest them and we make products made out of wood or forest fiber, those are storing carbon for the life of the product, whether it be the desk we're sitting behind or or a home or or even uh, forest fiber that's going into personal protective equipment. So it's really a part, if you are making products from sustainably managed forests, it's a really important part of the climate solution that we're all facing. And I think there's an opportunity for British Columbia in particular that does forestry and forest management very well to capitalize on that opportunity ahead. I want to stop there because I think that is such an important point that gets lost in this conversation. Uh, There are are voices out there that see all of the resource sectors as not being able to contribute to the solutions to climate change. But yet you're saying sustainability, you're talking about resilience in the forest industry. Why does the story get lost? I don't know. It, it's curious to me. It's, it seems like it's hard to have a public conversation these days. People, people go to one side or the other. And I think, you know, life is, is, is about a series of trade-offs and about finding places where we can come together. We often focus on what makes us different rather than where we sh- share common interests. Look, I'm a British Columbian. I, I've grown up here. I have family. I have children. I want to be able to recreate in the forest. I want to have uh, some forest preserved. And, and I value that I value the conservation ethic that we have here in the province of British Columbia. I think it's a really important thing. It's one of the things that defines us. And I also value 
what we derive from the forest resource in terms of uh, the jobs and the economic opportunity it provides not just to me and my family, but to families across the province. And it is a very big foundational part of our economy. More importantly, it's an important part of the fabric of many communities throughout the province of British Columbia. And it's a place where families have grown up, where they take pride in the work that they do in how they manage the forests or how they do water quality, how they are the biologists that we have uh, are managing for wildlife values. People take great pride in what they do. And it's a very important industry to many, many families and communities, including the community that we're located in today, which is Vancouver, because while people think of this as a sector that's predominantly um, operating in rural British Columbia, that's just not the case. Over 50% of the jobs, about 51% of the jobs in the forest sector are actually located in the lower mainland and the uh, southwest part of the province. So, you know, there's lots of forest families who are making their living right here in British Cl- in Vancouver, where we are uh, sitting today. It's this yes and conversation that I hear growing among the business community that we all want to see transformation and we all really believe strongly about economic contribution but also reconciliation and the need to address climate change. Given how long you have been involved in the industry, talk about some of the changes you've seen over the past decades. Well, you know, it's... it. It's it's been transformational. The forest sector, you know, it's not this is not your father's forest sector. You go into a, a, a mill or an operating facility, and we're employing all kinds of technologies. Many of the technologies that have been have been uh, devised or, or invented here in British Columbia, but who actually employs those technologies or helps to commercialize those businesses are the, the forest sector and other natural resources sectors. So, you know, there's optimization to- technology that's used to make sure that we're using every little bit of the forest fiber. Uh, we have, we're able to put market data into our um, milling operations to make sure that we're getting the highest value. We look at how we manage in the forest, how much we've learned over the last decade or two about how to manage the forest for multiple values, not just for, uh, for you know, forest fiber, but for wildlife, for visual quality, for communities. We, we are taking all of that into the practices that we employ in the forest sector. And we have, you know, registered professional foresters and biologists. We have skilled workers um, who are actually, um, you know, they, some of the best in the business are located right here in, in British Columbia. And I think it's something that, you know, we should be very proud of. The people who work in the sector are proud to be doing so. And they also know that while we've come a long way, there's always room for improvement. We're always looking for, for, di- for new ways to do things better. I think that's, that's part of the, the, you know, that's part of what drives us forward. And we will be uh, looking to improve practices and to continue to use technology and, if, and um, other tools to improve the practices that we have um, going forward. And I think that's, that's something that we all embrace. It's been a particularly challenging six months or so for the forest industry, though. I mean, we started off in the end of June with the heat dome, and then there was a summer of wildfires that we had not seen. And then just in November, we saw the floods and we saw the mudslides. What kind of impact have have these climate events over the past six months had on your sector? Well, of course, forest fires... 
are, are devastating. They have been consuming a lot of fiber and, and, you know, a lot of that, you know, we've had fiber that's been consumed that has been uh, beetle impacted wood uh, that leaves, you know, forest vulnerable. And that's why, you know, we believe that sustainably managing our forests and making sure that we are um, harvesting as well as con- continuing to re- reforest the areas is really an important part of that. In terms of the ep- impact, obviously, other than the direct impact, there's been an impact to supply chain. And I think that's, you know, we're coming through this period of unprecedented supply chain disruption. And now we've added on, you know, fires, which of course constrained uh, road and rail travel. And uh, same with the floods. And, and we are a product, we are a um, industry that sends our product to international markets. So it's really critically important. That infrastructure is critical if we're going to be able to get our products to market. And we need to sell those products on the market because those drive jobs and supports families and communities across British Columbia. The Climate events uh, have been very devastating, but added on to that is the uncertainty that has been brought on by the government launching a forest policy modernization process and significant old growth harvest deferrals. Where do you think this is headed next? Well, those are two big things, so maybe I'll I'll try and um, split them up. First of all, on with respect to the forest policy modernization, I think, as I said, um, you know, we are not opposed to modernizing the forest policy. Everything has to be looked at from time to time. I think what we're experiencing now, though, is a period of particular uncertainty. Um, and that is not good for businesses, whether you are a a board of trade member, a small business, a big business, a medium business. Uncertainty is very difficult for businesses who are looking to either invest or plan their operations, etc. And we have a lot of change being brought all at once. The pace and the breadth of the change that's been introduced or the policy changes that are being uh, advanced by the province are unprecedented in terms of their breadth and their potential for impact. So, you know, I think what that's done is it's really created a lot of uncertainty in the sector and, and we're we see it in big ways um, you know do you make a decision to invest in plant and equipment but in small ways you know a forester um, sent me a note from one of his employees who is just saying you know we were thinking about buying a house and now we're not sure because of the uncertainty that this has created and I think that that's very difficult for families for workers and for communities and so while we're not opposed to having policy modernized, I think we need to make sure that it's done with good socioeconomic analysis so that we understand what the impacts of these changes will be. Um, and we need to have all of the, the players who are going to be impacted or who are being to be engaged in the conversation. Um, you will know we had about 300-odd uh, pages of legislation that were pushed through at the end of the session. These are uh, pieces, These are this legislation has the potential to change families and communities fundamentally. And I think we need to make sure that we really understand how we're moving forward. Um, And we need to make sure that the nations, the industry, and the communities who are going to be impacted are part of that conversation. You mentioned um, the First Nations, and I I want to talk about Indigenous reconciliation in a moment, but coming back to the old growth deferral Mm -hmm. process that's underway, uh, significant, but from my understanding, consultation is continuing. Yeah, I mean, when the uh, the old growth 
the recommendations of the panel that the government put together were issued. There was intended to be a 30-day consultation period with nations. I just have to say that that was an incredibly short period of time, according to many of the Indigenous leaders and communities um, I have heard from, too. Yes, and, and I've heard that, too. Certainly been talking with some of the nations and with the First Nations Forestry Council. I mean, the maps that were issued were, first of all, not at a scale where you could actually under- determine what how your operations would be impacted and the volume uh, of information that a nation would have to consume. We were, <laughs> I know industry foresters who have been in the business a long time were having trouble trying to determine what exa- exactly the impact of these, you know, uh, markings on the map would be to their operations. I think it was uh, a very difficult challenge to the nations, and I think the nations rightfully stood up and said, uh, this may not be enough time for us, and uh, I've pushed back. I understand consultations are still continuing, um, and that's really important because, again, um, if we're taking a very significant portion of the forest land base that's available for harvest and we are removing it, that is going to have a significant economic impact. It's going to impact jobs and it's going to result in mill closures. So we really should be clear about what those impacts are and what communities and nations are going to be uh, affected by them. Yet the two words, old growth, are just such an emotional um, trigger for so many voices Maybe you could talk a little bit about how the old growth, uh, managing old growth, has factored in for this sector overall. Sure, and it, and I do understand that it's it can be very emotional, and I think what we we need to do is really start with the facts. So the facts in the province are is BC is is a leader in conservation. We have over fifty two percent of our land base has is either a park protected area, special management zone, or resource extraction is excluded, and that's something that we as British Columbia should be proud of. That's that's a great place to start from. Uh, it, when you speak specifically of the forested land base, uh, 75% of the old forests in the province are either uh, in parks or protected areas or um, outside of the timber harvesting land base. So we start again from a very strong pl- place. When you think about the coastal British Columbia, that number is actually higher. It's about 88%. So what we're talking about is a small portion which is left uh, for uh, to be harvested that is available to be harvested on an annual basis and a very small portion of that harvest provides a lot of value to British Columbians. You know, we're talking all about wanting to have higher value products and the province is really targeting value-added manufacturing in its forest policy modernization. Well, those are products that are, a lot of them are um, created from Old, older forests, forests that have been growing for a longer period of time. And so the characteristics of the fiber is different and they are highly valued and we can uh, deliver a lot in terms of benefits from a very s- modest harvest. And so we think it's again about that balance. It's the yes and. We can have an excellent res- record on conservation and we can have the vast majority of our old forests protected and we can have a small portion of the forest available to deliver value back to British Columbians. So talk a little bit more about then how wood and fiber-based products are making a difference in in addressing climate change, the the yes and, that balance. Yeah. 
Well, I think, you know, we're very fortunate in that we have a resource that's renewable. When you harvest a tree and an industry, when we harvest a tree, we plant three. So we are growing the next generation of the products that we will produce and we harvest at a sustainable level. And that's really important. And many British Columbians probably don't know that. We have a chief forester, a woman who sets the uh, level of harvest, uh, the annual allowable cut for the province of British Columbia. And that's, she does that independent. She's an independent officer of the legislature to make sure that we are only harvesting at a level that is sustainable. And so that's why over the last few years, our harvest levels have actually been coming down because particularly in the interior where we had devastating beetle and fire uh, seasons, um, we have to take that cut down to where it is a sustainable level and no industry no company wants to harvest beyond that that's something that British Columbians don't know but we we should know that and so what we do is we have uh, a small harvest each year that is designated by the provincial chief forester and those products um, we, we harvest those trees we replant them and we take those products and we build carbon friendly um, materials whether that be you know uh, lumber that goes into housing, mass timber. Um, if you're taking something, making um, taking the the residuals into medium density fiberboard or oriented strand board, or any of those other products that we use in building or construction, that's those forest fiber. That's capturing carbon for the life of that product. It is storing carbon, and so not only do the trees that we then replant store carbon and and for their life, but then when you create these products, they're storing carbon for the life of the product. And so when we think of a climate-constrained world, like wood is the perfect building material. When you look around the globe, whether it's in uh, across North America, in Europe, or in Asia, people are looking to build more with wood because it's a better choice for the planet. We've spoken a bit about Indigenous consultation through this old growth process. Uh, I want to speak more broadly about the role of Indigenous communities in the forest sector, which is significant. Uh, 198 First Nations in BC and over 5,000 Indigenous peoples directly working in the industry, uh, according to the latest research that I I could look at, and, and it actually might be more individuals. So how has the industry worked alongside Indigenous communities? And, and what is that? what does that look like going forward? Well, you know, nations, uh, certainly we have uh, people who are directly employed in our business, but nations are also, they're tenure holders, they're business owners, they have logging shows, they're involved in all a lot of aspects of the business, and that their participation is growing, and they're a very important part of our sector. I'd say that's changed quite dramatically. I mean, when we look at tenure holders, um, I think the province estimates about 11% of uh, the tenures are held by Indigenous uh, communities, and that number is growing. Um, and I think it's really important that they are, they have, not only are they owners and operators, they are, they are very good <laughs> at the business. And so, you know, it's great to have that level of participation, and it's grown exponentially over the last number of years, and there's more work to do. And, you know, we look at them, the nations, as being partners, as being suppliers, as being tenure holders, and as an excellent 
a pool of human talent. You know, we've got to replace a lot of people in our sector as people are aging and and moving out of our our industry. We look, uh, we've got you know scholarships and bursaries and programs where we're trying to attract um, more uh, nations uh, and community members to our business. And so that's part of economic reconciliation, and we look forward to continuing to work in partnership with those nations. But I think, you know, when when they're an important part of these discussions we're having around policy and modernization, reconciliation has to play into that as well. And uh, they're a very important voice that must be at the table as we're having these conversations. No conversation about the forest industry would be complete if we did not touch on softwood lumber. And so recently the U.S. made a move to double its tariffs on Canadian softwood lumber products to nearly 18%. couple of questions about this. First, the impact of the decision. Uh, we're, I don't think that it would uh, be unreasonable to suggest that that the sector was expecting there would be a decision um, that would not go in Canada's favour. But what is the impact? Um, well, sadly, it's, it's not a surprise to us. This is a 40-year fight between our two countries. Um, it's inexplicable to me because the U.S. actually does not produce enough lumber to meet its own demand. They need our lumber, their consumers want our lumber, and yet we continue to face these uh, trade, uh, this protectionist regime around lumber. The impact of this will be that prices for lumber, and you're already seeing uh, prices ticking up. It's, you know, it's not just the, the tariff, um, but it's also the supply constraint related to uh, some of the uh, logistics cha- challenges that we've talked to. But uh, ultimately, these prices, this, these duties will get priced into lumber and makes it more expensive for U.S. consumers to buy lumber. And it makes our products more expensive, um, you know, when we're shipping them across the border, which is, you know, provides, it creates a disadvantage for Canadian uh, companies. And certainly these duty rates going up and down provides another element of uncertainty at a time when we have a lot of uncertainty around our operations. So, um, you know, it's, I wish I could say I see a resolution. I, I, you know, right now we are in litigation and this uh, increased duty was a result of an administrative review and I won't get into it because it'll make your head split open <laughs> if, you, if you think about all the litigation on softwood lumber. Um, duties will go up and down through this um, administrative review process, but ultimately what we need is a durable solution to this and that can only come at the political level. Do you see that happening? You mentioned, I mean, 40 years. It's a very long-standing dispute. Um and I know it's complicated, but what are the next steps? Could yeah. it be resolved at any point if there's political will? And I actually don't know that there is. Um, so uh, what are the next steps, though, to be able to address this this recent move? Yeah, well, we, we continue with litigation. So that's one train, and that's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and, and a big uh, time and resources, and it's exhausting, and I don't know why we do that but that we will continue on that train the other side is to try and find a, a negotiated solution and and for us that really requires um the u.s to come to the table and you know it's it's a little bit different in the u.s in, than in canada in canada the the canadian government could actually bind the industry to a new deal in the U.S., that's not the case. The U.S. industry, the way the trade laws are in the U.S., the U.S. industry actually has to be 
um, has to actually say that they are not being injured. And so they actually have an effective veto. Um, so until the industry actually decides that they want to find a durable solution to this, uh, it you know, it's, it's very difficult. Now, sometimes there is uh, enough water under the bridge, enough legal uh, back and forth, and sometimes we, we find a moment to have a solution. And that's when, you know, usually it's the prime minister and the president have to get together and say, we're going we're gonna to find a resolution. I don't, I don't see that right now, but certainly uh, that's something that we would look forward to um, perhaps in 2022. A 40-year longstanding dispute that certainly will likely continue to for some time. You have not been in the industry for 40 years, but you have been in the industry for a very long time because you're not old enough to be in the industry for 40 years. What is your connection to the industry? Why have you remained involved for so long? Well, it's, you know, when you talk to people about the forest sector, if you've lived in British Columbia, you probably have somebody who's connected to the forest industry. And, and, you know, mine started out when I, I, I joined, uh, I joined Canfor, um, not too far out of graduate school. And when I looked back in my own family history, my, my grandfather had worked at the shingle mill that was owned by Canfor. And then my father had actually worked at Eburn Sawmills when he was, he was a night watchman there when he was going to medical school. And so both my father and my grandfather had worked in the sector. And then of course, uh, many years later, I joined the company. I, I think, you know, if you look around British Columbia, you will find there's lots of stories of multi-generational families who have a connection to the sector. And even if you didn't work in it, you have friends and family who probably did. And it's, you know, I, I have been around the industry for a long time. I left for a few years and I came back. And I came back because it is a sector that's full of people, good people. It's what brought me back. I, I like the people I work with. They're head down, work hard, do the right thing kind of uh, people. Um, and they really are proud of the work that they do, whether it be managing uh, about stewarding the forest resource or making really great products. There is this sense of quiet pride about the work that they do, and that's very attractive to me. I, I share their, their sense of pride and the, the value in being part of a sector that's contributed so much to the foundation and has the opportunity to also con- contribute to the future of this province. I want to end our conversation looking ahead and also with some optimism after a, a really tough, tough couple of years for individuals and businesses and for even the forest sector, you know, what would you say is your greatest hope going into 2022? That's a great question. Um, you know, it's been a challenging period for everybody, but I am an optimist by nature and I I do think we will find the way forward. Um, what I really hope is that we can move away from these polarized conversations where we where we can actually stop and pause and think about the facts and and to really have a conversation share perspectives but try and find common ground and to take the the natural resources that we have here in British Columbia and think about how they can contribute to the world to to one of the biggest Uh, challenges that we face around climate and think about how we can take our resources and be part of that solution in a way that is has a positive impact for the communities and for the province as a whole Um, and I hope we can I I really hope we can have a conversation and get back to uh, sharing perspectives and and we can always disagree without being disagreeable and I I look forward to that with hope. 
Well, thank you for being here for this yes and conversation. Susan Yurkovich. Thanks for having me, Bridget.